Well, good morning. morning. You guys know what this is? Yeah, the Ericsons are like, uh. (laughs) So we'll leave that there for now. Hopefully it doesn't ring. That means we probably have an earthquake, but. So I don't know about you, but the weather is great outside, isn't it? I get to finally pull out the sweaters again. It is wonderful. Hey, it's uh, wonderful to share in the Word together. You know, after one of the services, I think, I don't remember what we were talking about exactly, but I said it was one of those things that most people don't like to talk about. And somebody came up to me afterwards and it's like, hey, is there, is there anything that really bothers you that you don't like to talk about in the Bible? And, and I was thinking about it, and I realized what it was this week. It's talking about myself. Oh, like the worst thing ever. I'd rather talk about giving uh, and tithes and offerings and worshiping the Lord. That's easy. I I don't want to tell you about me and about leadership and pastors and all these things. That's that's like the worst thing ever. I don't like to talk about those kind of things. In fact, it makes me feel a little uncomfortable. But praise the Lord for God's word. And when we read that, it was like a sharp sting when I was reading that uh, earlier, couple weeks ago in Acts 20 when when Paul says, I did not shrink, like shrivel and hide uh, from declaring the whole truth of God's word, right? And so I don't want to do that this morning. And we want to talk about uh, this morning, we want to talk about how, you know, what is a healthy church? And that is a proper understanding of church leadership. And you say, well, that's easy. And it's not. It's believe it or not, it, the, the, what God says about it should be easy, but we are all what? <laughs> Very complicated because of sin. And, and we create major problems because of our own complications with our relationship with the Lord, which also makes leadership more complicated than it's really supposed to be and really what it can be. And so here I want to give you I'm going to give you all the message here real quick. You ready? And uh, Philippians chapter 1, it says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, servants, you hear that? Servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Guess who are the leaders, leaders in the church? To all the saints, that's the church, with the what? Overseers and deacons, there you have it. Those are the leaders of the church. We can go home, shortest message in history. No, we're not going to go home. (laughs) You're like, there's no way that he can preach for less than five minutes and go home. You're right. So here's the thing. We want to talk about what is church leadership, who are the leaders, and really, the importance, there's one important thing that we want to discuss at the very end that applies all of it, that brings these three things all together in a complete circle. And you know what's amazing is, have you noticed how God loves to do things in threes? Have you noticed that? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the three in one. We sang that, right? He likes to do things in a three. Did you notice that? It's like, God, which is the head of marriage, you have the, the husband and the wife, the three part of a healthy marriage. Wow, imagine that. 
There's all sorts of threes in the Bible. And here we have one of those particular important threes. We have overseers. We have the saints that make up the church. That's all the believers make up the church. And deacons. We have three parts of the church. You take away and remove parts of these, and you have a recipe for disaster. You remove a part of worship, a part of growing in the Lord, and you remove part of serving the Lord. Three aspects of our walk with God. You remove one of those, and you become flat. The church will become flat. And the problem why a lot of churches are not healthy is because we tend to be flat when it comes to leadership because of different points of view rather than just simply listening to God's word. And so we want to do that this morning. Acts chapter 20, you want to notice something here. In verse 17, we see the really the very first aspect of church leadership, and that is, um, is elders. And elders is interesting. There are two ways that you can look at elders in the Bible. One is dealing with age. And what's amazing is a lot of times when it's dealing with age, not every time, but almost most of the time, it's deal, dealt with in a feminine point of view. In a, you know, we have masculine words, feminine words, not talking about sexuality, but talking about uh, the different ways that it is in, in used in context. And the two contexts that are dealing with in Scripture usually deals with an age, an age or leadership. And we'll show you a couple of those things. But in Acts chapter 20 and verse 17, it says, as he was going, as they were traveling from Miletus, he went to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. So who was he calling? And it's interesting, because if you go down in verse 28, it says, therefore, take heed yourselves and to all the flock among whom which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So uh, the elders there, he's not in the context, is not talking about an age, but somebody who has been appointed to an office of leadership. And so this is one of the areas that becomes confusing in, in churches. Do we have elders? Do we have pastors? Do we have bishops? Yes, all of the above. In fact, the word in your, I don't know what, what translation you're reading, but in, in the New King James, it says overseers. That's the word that we get, bishop. That's this one right here. Um, well, elders is presbyteros, where we get presbytery, where we get presbyterian. So presbyterian have a lot of elders because they, they form their whole church leadership on elders which there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. That's scriptural. Um, these are people who are set apart. So you see that, elders. The word there means literally church leaders in the context of Acts 20. Um, also, listen to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. Um, you see, so I exhort the elders among you as, as a fellow elder, not talking about age, and a witness of the suffering of Christ, and as well as a partaker in glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, and exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, 
but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but by being an example to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. Did you notice, not only in Acts 20, there are three words that are used, elders, overseers, shepherds. It's in 1 Peter 5, three words that are used dealing with leadership, elders, overseers, and shepherds. And so that first one there is basically uh, these men who are appointed. Let's look at Acts 14 and verse 23. So, by the way, I'm just going to be teaching real quickly, and then I'll really begin to preaching when we get to the conclusion. Everybody's laughing. All right, Acts chapter 14, verse 23. It says, and when they, it's talking about the apostles, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. You notice that? And they had appointed elders. Again, showing you the difference between when it talks about age and when it talks about leadership. So elders is a group of mature men, uh, and it always talks about men. And in 1 Timothy 3, Titus tells us that, that this is one of God's form of leadership in the church is to have elders. The other word that God uses when he describes leaders in the church is this other Greek word, episkopos. And it means literally overseers or guardians. Not guardians of the galaxy, but guardians of the flock of God. Right? God is the guardian of the galaxy. We don't have to worry about that weird TV show. It's the least favorite of all marvels for me. And, uh, but God is the ultimate guardian. But he has created a group of people he calls elders to oversee, to watch over. By the way, is an overseer, is that an office or is that a description? How about you English people? Description? Yes, it's describing something. It's describing a function, an oversight, right? And it's the New Testament, uh, that's where the Catholic Church and the Episcopal Church, Episcopos, gets the word bishop and they it's a tier for them it's like okay so we have we have priests we have that their priests are where they get is what they have as the, the under shepherds and then they have uh then they have bishops and then they have the father right the pope and uh so they have their hierarchy but what i want you to see what god designed was something different he designed a group of elders who were to provide oversight or to guard. What's interesting is look at 1 Timothy 5.17. So if a group of elders have been appointed by God to provide oversight for the church, right, then they are the rulers of the church, right? Well, isn't that what it says in 1 Timothy 5.17? All right, well, let's, I heard an emphatic no from over there. Praise the Lord. Somebody knows their Bible. But 1 Timothy 5.17 says, The elders who rule well 
are to be considered worthy of double honor. That sounds interesting. Wait a minute. So now we have what a lot of people have coined as elder rule. Because the ones who rule well, you should pay them twice as much as what they're worth. Is that what it says? No. Well, you're supposed to take care of them. Double honor is not a payment. It is a way that you honor them, to take care of them. All right? So the elders who rule well. Well, that word there, rule, is another Greek word which I like to say is kind of like pastrami. I don't even remember how to, I have a hard time with English, let alone Greek. So, but it literally means to stand first. And it's not meaning to stand first in line. It's, it's like standing fast or standing first in guard and protection of. So the rulers or the elders who stand first and guard the flock of God well are worthy of double honor. The problem is, is when we read into the context what we think rule means rather than what, the way it was originally written. Which is interesting because when we look at church leadership in the Bible, when we look at leadership in general, you'll notice that it has an underlining tone of shepherding or husbandry or taking care of animals, sheep, right, in particular. And this fits exactly in the context. So the one who is at watch and is standing fast on guard and keeping watch over the flock to protect, feed, and guide them, they're worthy of double honor. Does that make sense? All right. But that's, that's why it's, it's good sometimes not to read into the context, but rather look at and ask the right question, what is there? And what does this word rule really mean? So what's interesting is episkopos emphasizes the function, whereas, whereas elder, where we get uh, presbyteros, is the character of the man, the maturity the leadership of the man. So you see that? The function versus the character or the person. So elder emphasizes who the man is. Uh, bishop is the overseer. And, uh, and it speaks of what he does. And then we get the word, right? The next word we see is poimian, which is the word shepherd. This is where we get the word pastor, pastoral. Right? It's the shepherd. Okay, and pastor deals with the mindset and the attitude of the person who is going around and he has the mindset and the attitude of shepherding and caring. Caring, that means to care for and to feed. So what's interesting is, is all three of these terms are used to talk about the same person. That's why we have elders. All right, and that's the other thing I don't have in your notes, but elders, it's usually when it talks about the church, it's always plural. The church was never designed to have one leader as a pastor. Pastor is a function of a man who is eldering and overseeing the church. There are some elders who are better at shepherding. There are some elders who are better at overseeing. But there are elders. And that's the point. Which is interesting. When you look at Acts 20, did you notice 
A lot of times when people look at pastors and elders, they always go to 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1. And they say, well, is he this, is he this, is he this, is he this? And it tells us how do we know if a man is mature or qualified to be an elder. It tells us that. Here are what you should be evident, should see that is evident in the man's life. So here's the qualifications. But it doesn't give the duties. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, well, this is the duty of an elder, and so look right here. No, that's the qualification of an elder. But if you go back to Acts 20 or 1 Peter 5, you see a lot of the duties of an elder or of a pastor or of an overseer because they're all the same person, right? And, and which is interesting. And so I want you to see real quickly, look at these, these uh, duties. I told you the elders, I already gave you that one, so... Here we go. So, the first duty is to be right with God. Did you notice all the emphasis that Paul placed on how he was right before God? When he met with the elders, he said, look at this. I did er this was the most important thing, that I, my life was right with God. That is one of the most important responsibilities, main priority of an elder. You also see it in 1 Peter 5, Right? And it happens to be one of the qualifications. He needs to be someone who's seeking after God, who lives a righteous life in both Timothy and Titus. The other one is, is to shepherd the flock, to feed, right? To take care of, to nurture. He says, I didn't, he said, I took care of the weak. I took care of the faint-hearted, the weak being the sick, and also the faint-hearted being the people who were struggling in life and who, who needed counsel. Right? That is a job of a pastor. One of the main responsibilities. The other one is to guard the flock. Hey, it, and did you notice that when Paul was saying in Acts 20, where did he say that the problem was going to come from? From within. It wouldn't, and then he said that there will be others that come from without, but it was also it just important for the pastor to guard the flock by taking care and making sure that people didn't bring destructive heresy or problems from within the church. It happens all the time. The pastors, and by the way, that is where a lot of problems lie in church because when the pastor goes to guard the church and he goes and he confronts a believer who's gossiping or slandering or saying things in the church about the church or about other people, by the way, which is the church, right? Did you get that? When they're talking bad about the church, that's you, right? So, so if they're talking, so when people talk bad about, you know, First Baptist Church of Ferndale, I tend to show up at their house. I like to, because I don't want them talking bad about you. You're God's bride, right? That's guarding the flock. But guess what? The people like it. Do the wolves like it when a shepherd guards the flock? No, they like a shepherd that likes to just take naps. Who likes to say, oh, that wolf is too big. I'm going to just look the other way while he takes one of my sheep and drags it off. That is not a good pastor. That's the priority of a good pastor is to guard the flock. The other one that we see that in both of the passages that we read this morning in 1 Peter and in 
uh, Acts 20, is that they study and pray. Another passage we'll read in a minute that deals with deacons, we'll see that. The, the apostles said, hey, we have deacons so that way we can study and pray. So that way they can teach. How are they going to comfort those and meet the needs if there's no study and teaching going on? How about praying? Why do you think it's important to pray so they're in connection with God, right? You know what happens when all you do is study? <laughs> well, sometimes we become full of ourselves, don't we? I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. doesn't work out too well when you get blindsided by a slide tackle, does it? Right? Those of you that are soccer players, you know what I'm talking about. You don't see that guy coming. My worst hit I ever experienced in, a, as in football ever, hands down, was the guy I didn't see coming. It hit me right here. I saw white. I saw white before I ever hit the ground. All I, I actually remember bouncing up to my feet. I don't remember hitting the ground. And I, I was still laughing. I was laughing when I was running down the sidelines, and I was still laughing when I was back up on my feet. I don't remember how I got there. They said I hit the ground and popped right back up. Yeah, I didn't see it coming. But that's what happens. When we don't pray, we become prideful. It's, it's when we're not spending time with God. We're letting God direct our study. And so pastors' priority, they need to be studying and they need to be praying. The other one is to be free from self-interest. These are the important part of being an elder, being a leader. Is, is, are you focused on self-interest? Can't be. Paul kept saying that. Hey, I, didn't, I wasn't taking. I was always giving. That's important. Uh, the, I, people are always telling me, they're like, uh, when I was a pastor down, I was a youth pastor, and then I became the, the pastor at our church down in, in California, in Eureka, and I'd have pastors call me because I was on the council and the board down in California. And so all these senior pastors were like, how, come, you know, how can you find someone to stick around for more than five years? And I was like, you've been at the church for over 10 years. Well, you know, it's like, we can't find anybody that will stick it out. What's the deal? And I said, well, let me ask you a question. What is one of the first things that your candidate asks you as a church before he comes to visit? And hands down, it's this. How much can you pay me? That's hand down. That's the first question out of their mouth. That's the majority of the people. I said, don't. I said, they, they go, but they're talented. I said, close the book. Go look for somebody else. I said, in truth, go look for a missionary. Because they don't care how hard it is, they're going to stick it out for the love of the people. It doesn't matter. I mean, that's the one thing that most missionaries on the mission field have in common. They love the people more than their circumstances. That's the kind of pastor you need. It doesn't have self-interest. That was my only question. That I, one, of, one of my first questions when it was the last time you did church discipline. That was my first question to these guys. The second question was, is, is, and then my only thing is, is, is not about how much you can pay me, is this, how will you support my family, right? Because you could, just because you couldn't, if you stopped paying me tomorrow, which, don't do that, please. But <laughs> if you did that, here's the thing. That doesn't remove me as your pastor. That just means I'm not getting paid. 
means I start working at Perry Pellet. Maybe I lose a little weight. <laughs> so I think the best exercise program is go work for Perry. <laughs> but uh, here's the thing. You, it's not about the payment. I want to know is, is, are you going to be able to just help me support my family? It's not payment. It's honor. It's support. It's because when I fail, who are you going to willing to be there to be to stand beside me as a dad, as a husband, so that way my family doesn't fail under the strain of ministry, self-interest. What is it? That's by the way. So you see the importance of leadership in the church. So the first one are elders, the mature leaders that are appointed. We won't go into how they're appointed. I don't have that time. I'm sure I'm going to hit a chord that will raise questions. Hey, guess what? The 16th, we're going to have questions and answer time. We can dive more into some other details. Did you notice in Philippians it said to all those, to the overseers and deacons, were they talking about the same person? No. No. Deacons. Deacons comes from the word deaconos, which means to serve or to wait on. To, to somebody who waits on you. I don't know, have you guys ever had a, a waiter or a waitress? Now, I hope that you, you bless them and encourage them. I know the other day, I like, to, I like to, to bless them. They always come up to me, and I'll be on the floor, like, scooping up all of Josiah's crumbs, because I, I, I think that he likes to wear his food more than he likes to eat it. But, uh, and they're like, no, no, I can do it, I can do it. And I'm just like, just because you can doesn't mean you have to do it, right? And they're like, oh, thank you, thank you. But I, it's like, no, this is my child, and I'm going to be responsible for him. I don't want to force my waitress to do that, right? And, and usually it's a, a good way to strike up a good conversation, to bless them, to encourage them, uh, to treat them well. And besides just, you know, saying, oh, well, my kid was a mess, so I'm going to give him 20% today. So, <laughs> so I try to do a little bit of kindness and a little bit of this. Deacons is the first mention of really deacons, and not necessarily the word deacon, but deacons is found in Acts chapter 6. And we're going to read it, Acts chapter 6, and starting in verse 1. And so this is interesting. So this is a different form of leaders in the church with a different perspective and a different function. Elders gave you what their five main functions were based on those two sections of verses. That's not a complete list. There's other aspects that we can draw from without, you know, from within other verses. But those are the five main ones. So here in Acts chapter 6, it says, Now in those days, uh, when the number of the disciples were multiplying, there arose a murmur. Imagine that. Church that's complaining. Does that sound familiar? That happens, right? A church that's murmuring. And uh, against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. So uh, the Greeks were mad at the Jews and uh, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. So, by the way, back in the day, how did the, widow, the widows couldn't work? How did they get fed? Well, the church would gather up an offering and they would gather up food that people gave food just like we do over there. And then they would distribute it and make sure the widows got fed. That's how they got fed. By the way, that's also how the prisoners got fed. So while Paul was in jail, the only way he lived was from other Christians coming and 
giving him food. Now that was pretty scary, don't you think? Because you're basically telling the, the jailer that you're a Christian because you're feeding him. It's an interesting thought, just side note, rabbit trail. But here we go. So the, they, that's how the widows were being fed, but the Greek widows were being neglected. And so then the 12, the, 12, the, the, the disciples, the apostles, summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, is it not desirable that, it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables? We're describing deacons. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of godly re, uh, repute, full of Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom you may appoint over this business. Interesting. Business. Administration. Business. Did you notice the elders, there was no mention of CEO, business, administration? None of that. Whew. Good, because that's not my gift. But <laughs> deacons. Here, business, administrate, wait on. But it says in verse 4, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And this saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and all the rest of the seven. Now, let me ask you a question. Did these seven then become the deacons who watched over the whole church? No. These seven were just seven men who did what? Who waited on the widows. By the way, that's why we don't just need, a lot of churches say, well, we have to have seven deacons because in Acts chapter 6, it says they chose seven deacons. But it's interesting. Sometimes we choose a deacon and say, oh, that deacon's going to be responsible for the whole building. Have you gone through our building? Jerry Ward and I were just talking out here in the hallway this morning. He's like, man, we could work on this building every single day and never fix everything. Do you understand that they, they were, these seven deacons just took care of the widows? It took seven of them. Well, you remember how much the church, the church was over 5,000 at this point. Yeah, they needed seven. It doesn't mean that we need seven for that specific issue. But an issue arose. There was complaining and they chose seven men to take care of it. Sometimes, that's what deacons are. They're servants. The word means to serve, to wait on tables. Deacons are to serve in the following ways. In this section, we see this. They assist the elders. They assist the other leaders. They assist the elders, which helps the elders focus on the word so they can train themselves to nourish and to counsel, to encourage, to lift up, to be good shepherds and overseers of the flock. And so deacons help to administrate and help serve. It's interesting. Did you see any of these deacons were called on to make the decisions of the church? Not the overall oversight of the church, but they were called to wait on and to make the decision on how to take care of the widows. It was a serving project. It's a, and that's interesting. But it helps to assist the pastor, to free the pastors, the elders, from the responsibility so they don't get so tied up in doing, 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 doing that they neglect the body to guard the body, to shepherd the body, to teach the body, to train the body. 
So if you make all the elders do all the work of the church, then you're shooting yourself in the foot because then they can't be there to hold you up and to, make, and to help you be successful to shepherd and feed you. Right? So, the, so God brought in deacons. So not only were they to assist the elders, but they were to serve the needs of the congregation of the saints. To serve the, the body. To be servants. To be the chief servants who serve within the body. Isn't that kind of an interesting concept? So they help free up the pastor so that way there's more people's needs are being met. What's interesting, as soon as a problem happened, gossip, or I don't know what, how much, but they were complaining, there was murmuring. Murmuring is not necessarily a good thing, but deacons were created, and it helped. It put down the murmuring. It pleased everyone. Now, we don't have time to go into all of this, but that is why it's important when it comes to deacons and deacon ministry in the church that deacons are uh, given, like, say, hey, I, we have this problem in church, and I know this godly man who meets the qualification of, of deacons, and he, I think he'd be good to help take care of that service need in the church. Isn't that interesting? Just saying. But it helps to put down murmuring. So in Acts chapter 6, think about what would have happened if the elders tried to, and the, the apostles, the 12, tried to do, take care of all of it themselves. What do you think might have happened? Uh, just <laughs> more problems because they'd be neglecting other things. Oh, wait a minute. You're taking care of them, but what about us? What? You're not. More problems. Discontent, distrust, cliques, gossip, division, church splits. A church that doesn't look any different than most of our churches or secular organizations today. Now you just look at the NFL, right? It's going down fast. Not because of the Seahawks, but <laughs> I love the Seahawks. But here's the thing. The deacons have a major, major effect on the church. Major effect. Just as the elders have a major effect, the deacons have a major effect on the church. Solving problems helps produce unity and peace in the church. And that's what deacons do. They're problem solvers. They're servants. What do you, when you go to a restaurant and you have a problem, who do you go to? Hopefully you have a good waiter or a good waitress, right? And if they solve the problem, right, then they get a good tip, right? And it's not, hey, let me tell you how you can do your job better. That's not the tip they're looking for, right? All right. So <laughs> just saying. <laughs> so the last thing there is all the saints, right? Philippians chapter 1, all the saints, the deacons and the overseers, all the saints. That's you, the congregation. So what leadership do you have? Well, by the way, when we read Ephesians chapter 4, listen to what it says in verse 16. And he gave, that's he, by the way, it should be capitalized, it's talking about God. It says, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers and uh, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So where does the saints come in? Discipleship, to do the work of the ministry. Right? And what's part of discipleship? 
Go tell, right? By the way, evangelism and discipleship aren't two different things. They're the same thing. One is the start of the process, which is telling, and the other process is as we disciple, we, we make them, right? Tell and make, right? It's, a, it's a evangelism and discipleship. It's part of the same process. So look at it, to, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. So we have these, all these competing views in all of these churches. We have churches that are ruled by the congregation. We have churches that are ruled by the elders. We have churches that are ruled by deacons. Which one's right? None of the above. All of us have responsibilities, though, don't we? Yeah. All of us. The first one is, is to do the work of the ministry. The second one we saw here is to seek unity in Christ. By the way, are we seeking unity because we like each other? That is what should just dumbfound everybody in our community. They should not like each other. They're complete different. They're weirdos. How can they like each other? That's what everybody keeps saying about me and my wife. But, you know, there is a God. So, <laughs> seeking unity in Christ. That was my favorite thing that my mother-in-law told me. I don't know how you guys are going to get along. You guys both compete to talk. So, it's, it's no wonder God gave us Kedrick. So, <laughs> seeking unity in Christ. That's the responsibility of the church. Wow. Seeking de- uh, is selecting deacons as needs arise. Acts chapter 6. In the church, as you see problems, maybe you see a problem that the pastor didn't even see. Arising. Somebody's kicking you. You know, when all the sheep compress together in the flock, sometimes it's hard to see over and to see what's happening. And the sheep start kicking. You're too close to me. You know, what the siblings do. I'm always amazed at my twins, right? They're like, get away from me. Don't touch me. All this kind of stuff, right? I see you over there. So, and they're all doing all this stuff, and they're hitting you, and they're like, ah. And then when, when they separate and go to two different places, the first thing they do when they come back together is they tackle each other and hug each other. And it's like, well, you were just fighting a second ago. Right? But it, when a problem arises that daddy, mommy doesn't see, or the elders don't see, we, what we do, we, we say, hey, there's this problem. We, we should find a godly man who can serve the church by taking care of it. That's the thing. This is really what I want to preach to you. In all the verses that are listed and that we've read through, there is no description of any position of power. Did you notice that? We want to take and make rule power. We want to assign power We want authority to be power. But God tells us real authority, real leading is humility. You notice uh, in one of those verses that we read in in 1 Peter chapter 5, did you notice it says, when the chief shepherd appears, do you notice the distinction? He didn't just say when the shepherd appears. He said the what? Chief. Who's he talking about? Jesus. Who has the ultimate authority and power of the church? 
I'm not marrying the church. I'm just part of the church. Who's marrying the church? You, we are the bride of Christ, aren't we not? Real authority, real power. That's why we seek unity in Christ, because we want to give power and control to Christ. It's exactly what Paul is saying in Philippians chapter 2. If there be any love of Christ in you, right? Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, to think the same way, to have the same attitude. Have this mind in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, right? Though he was God, he didn't stay on the throne. He came to earth and he what? He died for our sins. He served us. He is the Lord of Lords, the, the King. He is the creator of the universe. He is what keeps this universe from unraveling, right? They, scientists are looking at it like, man, the universe should just explode when they look at how it is constructed. Who is holding it together? Duh. God is. Who has the power in the church? God does. But the problem is... When we deal with leadership and we try to understand leadership in the church, we always remove God out of the equation and we start thinking on a man-centered level and we get mad at each other. And there's no unity. We fight over authority. Why are we fighting over what belongs to God? There is no description of a position of power. Leadership is running ahead and making sure that the sheep know where to go and protecting them along the way. Leadership is a deacon who is saying, you know what, there's a problem, I'm going, and I'm going to love Christ by loving the church and making sure that it doesn't become a problem, and I'm going to shut down all the complaining. By the way, when you go to, and if you look down, I'd have to quote the whole passage to get to it, but so I'll turn there so I don't misquote it. But if you go down in Philippians chapter 2, And you look down, it tells us to think like Christ. Let us have the mind of Christ. And it says, in the end, God highly exalts him and gives him the name which is above every name. He puts him in his proper position. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of the Father. And he says in verse 12, therefore, what? My beloved, not, <laughs> as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Do, and verse 14, what does it say? Do all things without what? Yeah. Without grumbling or murmuring and disputing. If we, are, if we allow the leadership to function the way God tells us to let them function, and we focus on the authority of the church as God, it is Christ, and we praise his name, we lift his name high, and we give him the glory and honor that is due his name, and we remove ourselves out of that equation of power and authority my way or the highway attitude, and we what? There's less murmuring and complaining. And guess what? When there's less murmuring and complaining, guess what, guess what that is a, guess what that breeds? What? Peace, yeah, it's joy, man. It's exciting. Did you see what this is? Yeah, it's great. Did you see what God is doing? And we have no time to think about how bad things are because all we're doing is focusing on how good things are. That's why the gospel is so important. 
For four months, we talked about how important the gospel is. It's all about Christ, folks. If he didn't die for our sins, we would have nothing. So we have to understand what church leadership really involves. It involves a function of men that are called elders, and it involves deacons who are functioning according to biblical deacon and all of the saints doing the work in the ministry so that way we can find unity in Christ and grow the body of Christ by lifting up Christ. Not power or authority or position. Right? We have to understand. Understand what true leadership is. And it's found in Christ. I love it when he says, I am a good shepherd. Guess who ultimately stands at the door for us and protects us? No one can snatch you out of the Father's hand. Why? Because a good shepherd laid down his life for the sheep. God demonstrated the ultimate love for us that while we were yet sinners, while we were those stupid, stinking, rotting, sinful sheep that are backbiting, kicking, and running, and jumping, and breaking fences, you know, those sheep, that's us, right? That describes church pretty much in a nutshell. And... (laughs) He died for us, standing watch over us, that we might have life, life eternal. Not life now, life for eternity with him, getting to enjoy the glory of the Lord for eternity. We don't have time to complain about leadership. We need to be about the Father's business of loving him and loving each other because he first loved us. He is the good shepherd. And not only he calls us his friend. I don't know about you, but stop and think about how much you hurt the Savior when he died on the cross for your sins. And he's, he says, I no longer call you sheep, but I also call you what? Friend. That should just blow your mind away. And if God can forgive you and call you friend, why can't we just call each other friends? Lord, I just thank you for this time this morning. Thank you for not only all the questions that might come up because of what we studied this morning in your word, but I, th- I pray that maybe a lot of answers, a lot of encouragement, a lot of joy that could come out of your word this morning to realize that we have no life without you. We have no church without you. That all authority and power in the church belongs to you. And Lord, I pray that you will help us as we endeavor to grow our leaders and to grow the church, all the saints together in one body that would proclaim and lift high your name, that you would help us to be wise and to follow the direction that you have laid out for us so that way we can glorify your holy name, that we would be without murmuring and complaining, but find great peace and joy together. And just being so in love with you that we can't see anything else. But the creator of this universe who died for us and now can call us friend. May that impact our hearts and our minds and the way we think about church and church leadership. Lord, I pray that people today would realize how important the good news that you died for their sins, that there is no other way to get to heaven except through you through the name of Jesus and that they would call upon you 
that they would seek repentance for trying to live the life their way and that they would come to you, the Savior of their souls, and say, Lord, here am I. Forgive me. And Lord, that, you, that they would seek you to save them, that they might know that they have a Savior that saved them from their sins, that give them life for the rest of eternity. Save them, I pray. And I pray that would be our message of the saints, to go out and make disciples. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.